Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Um, if uh, Heart of the Matter can be seen at www.hotm.tv through live streaming video, we also have all of our uh, programs archived there, and uh, you can also see clips of uh, Heart of the Matter on youtube.com, so you can tell your family and friends about those things. Wherever you are, we welcome you. The difference typically between cultural Christians and genuine believers, are those, uh, at least those who are allowed to tarry while on this earth, uh, is usually how much time they give to studying the Word of God. Every week, Lord willing, we hold a never-denominational, open-to-all, verse-by-verse uh, Bible study at the University of Utah. lasts about an hour from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. Sunday afternoons. It's a great group. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to calvarycampus.com. While you're driving into the Bible study, you can tune in to AM820, The Truth, and hear replays of Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. So Sunday afternoons never look so good. Uh, check that out. We've got had some good uh, initial responses from putting out the call for uh, to get uh, representatives to uh, be liaisons for uh, Aletheia Ministries. Uh, we have already had qualified people from American Fork, West Wendover, Nevada, Billings, Montana, Arlington, Texas, and Pompano Beach, Florida. Uh, their purpose to meet and respond to, to answer calls from, and help disciple people who are coming out of Mormonism who live in their area. And we're looking for more as we would love to have a representative in every city of every state and then in the world. We're specifically looking for people who have been LDS, who have come out and been in uh, a Christian church and studying the Word of God for some time. We're looking for mature Christians and we're looking for couples uh, primarily. There may be exceptions to that. Uh, but we're primarily looking for couples to help disciple people. And the reason is we get emails from all over the world, all over the nation. And people are saying to you, you know, I'm coming out of the church, but I have no support here. Is there anybody who can help me? If you would like to be a representative, email us. It's there on the screen. Uh, Sean at aletheamedia.com and write representative in the subject line. And that helps us to be able to keep those in the right place. Once you're on the list, we're going to begin to forward you emails and uh, we'll, we'll respond to you and ask you to fill out a questionnaire, which we've gathered from these other people. And we hear about your story and decide if we can use you in that specific city to help us or not. Okay, we're lining up an early spring open water baptism tour. When? It's going to be on Saturday, March 19th, 2011. We're going to start up in Logan, work our way down to Brigham City, drop into uh, Ogden, uh, hit Layton, Salt Lake City, and end up in Utah Valley. If you have contacted us in the past, we've had a number of people who have, who want to be baptized as an outward sign, indication of your inward faith, dedication to Jesus Christ. This is your chance. Please call the operators tonight and leave us your information or email us. Tell us where you live so that we can make plans uh, and have the right facilities there. And we'll give you more information about places as the date draws near. Then at Lakeside Community Church the next day, Sunday the 20th, uh, I have been given the, the great opportunity to preach and teach the Word of God there at Lakeside Community Church. The information is up on your screen right now. That's March 20th, uh, uh, 10 a.m., uh, 305 West, 1300 North in Sunset, Utah. So if you're in the Sunset, Utah area 
and uh, you want to experience Lakeside Community Church, if you're looking for a church to go to, come on out and join us then. Two books for your consideration. First, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. Uh, we're coming into a time when Christians the world over uh, are going to have to make some choices. Uh, do we stand up with the Mormons to fight world corruption because they are more and more becoming involved in fighting world corruption? Or do we take another course of action, one which uh, we believe Jesus took toward the fallen world? Not about not being involved. If the Lord calls you to be involved, you're going to be, certainly. But collectively, do we want to join forces with the LDS church as they fight world social ills? If Then suggests another course. You can get If Then from www.hotm.tv, from Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, and now it's available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores. Uh, you can get those, of course. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available at all the bookstores we've mentioned over the past uh, weeks. Uh, we uh, have had a really good showing since we've been announcing the coat drive for um, uh, Utah at the uh, Salt Lake Rescue Mission here. We've had a great response, and we just want to thank all of you for coming and bringing your winter coats down. Even today, it's still chilly, so we want to thank you for doing that and uh, look forward to helping out the Salt Lake Mission next year. Let's continue responding to the atheist Blake and his 49 questions that he submitted to us. Two weeks ago, he asked, why does God allow amputees? And then last week, we got a question, why can't an all-powerful God forgive someone of their sins after they die? This week's question from Blake is, quote, God wants everyone to worship and follow him, and if they don't, they burn in hell for eternity. What does this type of attitude say about his character? By definition, he would be described as a tyrant, end quote. Oh, Blake, how twisted the human mind can get, I tell you. Uh, the Lord God is your creator, Blake. And as your creator, he loves you and he does not enjoy that any of his creations would uh, choose to go to hell. He loved you so much that he sent you his son uh, to suffer for you, Blake, for the things that you do wrong, Blake, and uh, for all your sins. And all he asks is that you turn and you believe on his son. When you do that, Blake, your heart will change toward him and then your life will start to conform to his will and ways. If a person goes to hell, it's because they're choosing hell, Blake. And they're choosing hell because what they're saying is, we, I will not accept this gift that you have, are offering me, God. I, I would rather acknowledge uh, everything else than acknowledge you. And so that's how it really works, Blake. It's not that he's this this horrible being who says you must worship me because I demand it. It's, hey, I want you to worship me because I am the only source that's going to help you through this life and your eternities and get you clear of your sin. All right. Why don't we hear from the word of God? We've been casually walking through the book of Matthew and just kind of pointing out the differences between the LDS and how they teach the Bible and how Christians see the Bible, for the most part. I'm wrong sometimes, but last week we finished with Sermon on the Mount, and tonight we're going to stop at a spot that the LDS quote, and they quote, and they quote, and apply it to themselves, but they miss the context of what uh, is being said there entirely. Ready? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. In this chapter, the Lord is ending the Sermon on the Mount, and we find the single most off-quoted verse the LDS use to supposedly prove that Mormonism is true. What is the quote? 
Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Uh, if you walk up to an elder and you say, Elder, tell me the evidence that Mormonism is superior or, uh, to, Bab to the Baptist church, if you're going to compare churches, and they'll say something like, well, by our fruits, you will know us. And you can say, how can you believe all the things Joseph Smith said and did? And they'll say, by our fruits, you will know us. And let's do something really original, and let's look at that phrase in context tonight, Okay. By their fruits you shall know them is found in verse 20 of chapter 7 in Matthew. And it's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus or anyone else says that phrase. The way the LDS repeat it, it sounds like it's this all over the Bible, but it's only in one place. And to whom is re he referring? Well, if you go to that, that chapter and verse, he's teaching about how to detect false prophets. That's the context of how, what he said. And he says, we'll bring it up on the screen, Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Okay? So he begins his teaching with a warning. Beware of false prophets. This is the context. Now, how to see if a tr church is true or not or is not the case it is how to tell if a person is a false prophet. And he says, they come as wolves. They come in sheep's clothing. So outwardly, they look really good. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. They, uh, from this, the Lord informs us that, they, that we don't really have an ability to tell if a prophet's a prophet by looking at them. On the outside, they look like uh, sheep, very woolly and white and, and nice, okay? And it, but we uh, also learn that we can't discern their hearts, and we can't discern what's inside. We just know that under all their clothing that there, there's a problem. And he gives us a tool on how we could tell. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. Now, listen, what are the fruits Jesus is speaking about? The LDS seem to think that it's their good humanitarian works, okay? The LDS are always talking about the good humanitarian works that they do. Let's take another church institution and let's listen to how they promote themselves and the good humanitarian works they do and let's compare them to the Mormon church. So let's take a look at this spot right now. Our family is made up of every race. We are young and old, rich and poor, men and women, sinners and saints. Our family has spanned the centuries and the globe. With God's grace, we started hospitals to care for the sick. We established orphanages and helped the poor. We are the largest charitable organization on the planet, bringing relief and comfort to those in need. We educate more children than any other scholarly or religious institution. We developed the scientific method and laws of evidence. We founded the college system. We defend the dignity of all human life and uphold marriage and family. Cities were named after our revered saints who navigated a sacred path before us. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible, 
We are transformed by sacred scripture and sacred tradition, which have consistently guided us for 2,000 years. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the sacraments and fullness of the Christian faith, for centuries we have prayed for you and our world, every hour of every day, whenever we celebrate the Mass. Jesus himself laid the foundation for our faith when he said to Peter, the first pope, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. For over 2,000 years, we've had an unbroken line of shepherds guiding the Catholic Church with love and truth in a confused and hurting world. And in this world filled with chaos, hardship, and pain, it's comforting to know that some things remain consistent, true, and strong, our Catholic faith and the eternal love that God has for all creation. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Ours is one family, united in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are Catholic. Welcome home. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make a comparison and say that we can know true churches by the preponderance of good works that they do, uh, and you put Mormonism on the scale with Catholicism, Catholicism just went like that, you know, over the course of history. Mormonism is but a pebble, and that thing's like the Rocky Mountains compared to good works and humanitarian efforts and, and establishing colleges. And blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just like, if good works were going to save you and prove that you are Christian, the Catholics are crushing you, Latter-day Saints. You have been crushed by the Catholic. Pope, prophet? Pope, Pope, Pope! Prophet, prophet, prophet. I mean, forget it. So, I mean, is Jesus talking about this preponderance of humanitarian aid that shows that this church is true versus that church is not? I think not. Now, good, good works are important, sure. Jesus certainly said we, we have to feed the poor and we have to serve and, and, and we have to especially help widows and orphans. But, you know, there are thousands of false prophets that have come and gone, ravening wolves even, who are known for their good works. In fact, these very works uh, fool their followers. Satan will help an old lady across the street if he can get across the street and kill her grandchildren. You know, So the good works aren't necessarily the outward things that we're looking at. The way to determine good fruits is by holding, taking the good fruit manual. Okay, This is the good fruit manual. And you open it up and you say, okay, here we got a piece of good fruit. Let's see what the manual says about this fruit. Wait a minute, this isn't a good fruit. Boom, throw it away. You open up the guide that says this is good fruit or this is not good fruit. And the, and the good fruit is completely different in that context. Okay, recently, um, a caller from Idaho, he pointed something out. He said that when people from organizations, they want to present to you their thing, their whole ideal is to get you to join their organization. That commercial we just watched was come and, and join, look at the Catholic Church. This is what we have done. Come and join us. The Jehovah's Witnesses want you to become a Jehovah's Witness. The Mormons want you to become a Mormon. And they all have distinct uh, little things that you have to do and embrace in order to become them. Branch Davidianism wants people to become Branch Davidians. And, 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 and the People's Temple wanted you to become a member of the People's Temple. But Christians that you meet on the bus... Christians who are true to the manual, they want you to know Christ. They want you to know who he is and that you establish 
you receive what he has to offer and you have a personal relationship with him and then you have the ability to discern what thing you want to join and what thing you don't, you see? And that's how it works. This is the fruit. Jesus gives us another key in this teaching. He says, when discerning the fruits of a false prophet, we have to check and see if all the fruits the, the prophet delivers are true. So he first says, beware of false prophets. And he says, we can know them by their fruits. And he says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So he says, do you go to a grape uh, tree, a grapevine, and do you pluck off th- uh, thorns? No, you, from a grapevine, you're going to get grapes. Do you go to a fig tree and, and pluck off thistles of figs? No, you pluck off figs. A fig tree will produce figs. A grapevine, uh, grapes. And not some ob- weird, strange thing. So what does he mean by this paradoxical use of grapevines and, trigs, uh, and, and figs? That's what he means. He means that these trees are not going to suddenly produce some weird, strange thing. You're not going to have a beautiful grapevine that produces some grapes and suddenly you've got it producing uh, thistles and, and thorns. It's going to produce grapes. And so he, this is what he says. He says, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherewith by their fruits ye shall know them. So you have a guy step forward and he says, I'm a prophet. So someone who has the fruit manual, he says, okay, what do you have to say, prophet? What do you teach? What are your fruits? What do you support? What do you endorse? What does the Bible say about those things that you're endorsing? And you step back and look. If he produces a whole bushel of good things, but a handful of bad, he is a false prophet, and all the things he has produced are bad. Do you understand that? He cannot produce some good, some bad from the same vine, from the same tree. This means a good prophet will only produce good prophecies and practices and doctrines. And a bad prophet will produce uh, always some sort of fruit that is bad, like polygamy, like blood atonement, like uh, lessening Christ and elevating man and all those types of things. Okay, like all ministries, we always need support and help. Grab a pen and paper if you can and give us some prayerful consideration. Check this message out.
Welcome back. We have a woman who writes us frequently, and she's rather irritated that uh, when I call Yeshua Jesus Christ, she wants me to refer to him as Jesus the Christ, meaning Jesus the Messiah, apparently because we know his last name is not Christ. And so she's saying you have to call him Jesus the Christ. Dogma can really get unattractive sometimes in human beings. I accept anybody's approach on calling Jesus what he uh, is. He has many beautiful names, uh, and we got to try to avoid trying to make these hard and fast rules. I grant anyone the right to call Jesus Jesus, Jesus <clears throat> the Christ, Yeshua, the Lord, the Lord and Savior, the King, Jesus, whatever you're going to call him. Uh, he has those many names. It's what his name is in my heart. It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus the Christ. It is Jesus the Messiah. It is Yeshua. It is Joshua. It is all those things. That, and he has wonderful and counselor and many, many names. But I additionally do not refer to him as Jesus the Christ because simply because the LDS have a book. And it is authored by a guy named James Talmadge. And this book is by the same title. It's called Jesus the Christ. And by the way, Talmadge essentially swiped most of his insights, which the LDS hold up as so inspired, from a Jew who turned Christian, uh, a great Jewish scholar named Albert Edersheim. And he wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. That is where Talmadge got the, the whole idea behind Jesus the Christ and took many of the uh, unique thoughts. Okay, got a very nice card the other day. Check it out. Look at that thing. Take a look at that. Praise to the man, right there. Look at that. Oh, I was so, my heart was so lightened when I got that. Praise to the man. And then you open it up, you know what it says? Proclaim his gospel boldly. His is an uppercase H. Proclaim his gospel boldly, for it is true, exclamation point. And uh, inside it says, yuck. And I completely agree. You know, it, it, this, is, this is the reason why we do shows like this. You know, there should not, I mean, I'm really not into images of Christ, but, uh, you know, images of Joseph Smith, it's just, it's just, it's just pretty horrible. About, a th about every three weeks or so, we get communications, handwritten letters from people in prison. And we just want you to know our, our hearts and our prayers are out to you. Years ago, I tried to get into the prison system, which is primarily run and operated by members of the LDS church in this state. And I, they put the kibosh on that. They, well, I was stonewalled immediately. Until things change, I want you to all know out there in, who are stuck in the prisons and in the jails for things that you have done wrong, that our, our hearts and our prayers are with you. And we pray for your walk and your understanding of who the real Jesus is. Uh, finally, God works in mysterious ways. Some of you recall that uh, a while ago, we had a man on this program called the Man in White. And the Man in White uh, was wearing all his temple gar garb and he had his face painted white. And uh, we got an email, not from him last week, but from his wife. And she said, I want to express my gratitude. She goes on to say that the marriage ended. But in the process, the 2007-2008 shows helped her question her belief system, which she had lived for with a long time. She writes, leaving the LDS church was one of the hardest trials for me, especially coming in acceptance with myself for feeling that way. I received so much rejection from the people I love the most, and I am still seen by some LDS as a lost soul, a miserable lost soul. However, now I can say my life is good because I have found truth and freedom. Now I can say it feels right because I feel at peace and I don't have to make 
myself believe it anymore. Anyway, I think God has blessed me so much and has shown me a path to freedom, living a spiritually clean life by accepting and surrendering my mistakes and defects of character to him. And then she signs it, Lillian. We are so happy for you, Lillian, for God doing a work in your heart. And we pray that he will continue to uh, strengthen you as you uh, pursue him and to know him and to read his word. Don't turn your back on that. One last email Yvette wrote and said, the show has become seriously boring lately. The first part of the show is taken up by announcements and other junk. The flow of the show and topics seem a lot less interesting. I like the show. I hope it will improve. Uh, I just want you to know, Yvette, that you need to sit where we sit. We could really put on a performance each week. I mean, we could get you laughing and entertain you and things like that. But the ministry has grown where we have to spend time on things where we can do more than just present the information. If you sat where we sat, you'd see the emails that come in. We answer an email, another comes up. We answer the email, another comes up from all over the, all over the place. And we are trying to find a way to not just deliver the truth, because we do that, and then we say, go to your church, but they have more questions. And so we become inundated with that. So we try to do things that are gonna reach out a little bit more, and it takes some work, and it means less entertainment. We spent all of 2010 covering topics. We apologize if it's not as engaging for you, but we're gonna continue to try. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Lord in heaven, we need you and love you. I need you especially uh, and our, our volunteers and those people who support the ministry through prayer and every other means. We just love you and thank you for supplying these things. We, we pray for our audience that people who are searching for truth, that their eyes will be open, their ears will hear, uh, that this saving message of Jesus Christ will come into them and they will see the truth and they will be empowered to do what you want them to do, not what men command them to do. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we explained some verses in Matthew where Jesus laid out the way to detect a false prophet. His advice is much different from the standards that the LDS uh, deliver for discerning truth from error which is often described as feelings that you get through a burning in your bosom, through spiritual inclinations, through ideas that seem to make sense to you, where Christians will take their feelings and impressions and compare them to what the Word of God has to say. Latter-day Saints truly believe that they can discern God's truth, His will for them, by how they feel. This originated by the king of feelings himself, Joseph Smith, Well, as with most things Joseph instituted, we today frequently have the privilege, as it were, to watch them resurrect into a modern-day reoccurrence. Uh, Joseph Smith established polygamy, which included coercing teenagers. And in our modern day, we had Elizabeth Smart uh, being taken by Brian David Mitchell. Same scenario. Uh, Joseph Smith uh, supplied the world with a ton of forgeries. And in our day and age, we had Mark Hoffman and the forgery scenario. And uh, with Mountain Meadows Massacre, we had the Lafferty Brothers. And with uh, uh, the, uh, the Book of Mormon, what do we get? We get... Chris Namelka. Mentioned this last week. Take a look at that. This was on a, in a local rag here, but uh, the uh, authorship was pretty good, and I checked out the facts. See, when Joseph Smith Jr. was alive, he claimed that he was only permitted to translate two-thirds of the golden plates that he unearthed from a hill buried near his home. Supposedly, there was a sealed portion remaining 
And uh, from what I can tell, it is generally believed by the LDS today that this portion would be available for another translation to come forward once the saints are ready to receive it. Enter Christopher Namelka, who was a member of the LDS church and a security guard in their Salt Lake City temple in 1987. He says that Joseph Smith came to him and gave him the golden plates and the Urim and Thummim, which he calls intergalactic cell phones, to receive texts from advanced beings and other solar systems. In the end, Namelka produced what he claims is the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, and he titled it, The Sealed Portion, colon, The Final Testament of Jesus Christ. Gosh, it's amazing how these charlatans always want to produce the final testament, you know. The final, uh, even Muhammad gave us the final testament, you know. We, we have the final testament. It was Christ on the cross, the gospel moving forward through his chosen apostles. Namelka says his translation uses, quote, religious prose and symbolism to explain how advanced human beings have interacted with humankind throughout the history of the earth, end quote. Not surprisingly, a number of LDS believers have embraced Namelka's book as authentic. After reading the sealed portion, Monica S., a once active Latter-day Saint, says for her, quote, the atonement of Jesus Christ finally made sense. The meaning of the temple endowment was absolutely incredible. The history of the earth laid out in one fell smooth was remarkable. Christ's visit among the Nephites brought me to tears, end quote. The issue uh, here is if we use the LDS method of discerning truth and understanding truth, then Namelka is just as viable a prophet as Joseph Smith was, and his revelation of having the, this new book just as valid too. I want a Latter-day Saint to call in and tell me how they know Namelka's translation of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon plates is false, especially with many faithful LDS who are now claiming it to be true. Like who? In Orem, Utah, there is an LDS woman, an impressive LDS woman of Mormon pedigree. Her name is Ida Smith. Her father was an LDS general authority, and her cousin is an apostle for the church today, Russell M. Ballard. Sister Smith was the director of the BYU Women's Research Institute and reported directly to Apostle Jeffrey Holland. Former U.S. Senator Bob Bennett was among some of her best friends. The most LDS stalwarts to the most LDS stalwarts, it was impossible to believe Namelka's claims, which included that he was tutored by a 2000 year, the 2,000-year-old three Nephites. Uh, they must have forgotten that Joseph Smith also claimed that these Nephites came back and tutored him in translating the Book of Mormon. But Ida Smith was converted to this book. How does the, uh, this LDS stalwart member Ida Smith know that Namelka's book is true? She said she had, quote, an intense life-changing reaction when she read the book. Most of all, it produced tears. Students of the Bible rarely are brought to tears, but are instead filled with a greater hope and trust in God when reading his true word. Emotionalism is rarely uh, the consistent thing you respond to in uh, biblical readings. Uh, and she said that the voice of the Mormon angel Moroni was, quote, unmistakable in the writings. She also said that by the time she finished the book, quote, her entire worldview had been forever changed, that the, trans that the translation, quote, made so much sense, it never came into my mind to question what it even was. 
Sister Smith tried to share her newfound truth with her faithful LDS brother Hiram, but he pleaded with her to abandon the thing, saying, quote, in an email, your eternal future is at stake here. You have been duped by a very clever, seemingly sincere, diabolical guy, end quote. It's amazing how these very words were also used and assigned against Joseph Smith and his revelations. Now, before you start assassinating Ida Smith's character for her moral purity, Ida has never married, and she remained, as she's put it, quote, a straight shooter all her life. She was also an avid seeker of truth, saying, quote, I always believed if I wanted the truth badly enough, I would get it. She now believes she has found it in the writings of a man who says his work, quote, no other sealed portion has the power to take somebody like Ida Smith and change her mind about their religion, end quote. In an effort to reach Ida and her misguided trust and faith in the Melka's book, her brother encouraged her to call her old friend, current LDS apostle Jeffrey R. Holland for counsel. According to the January 27, 2011 City Weekly magazine on June 12th of 2002, Ida Smith called the apostle who told her their conversation had to be off the record, a Jeff to Ida kind of thing, and repeated that there could be no, quote, bugging of telephones when Apostle uh, Holland and Ida Smith conversed. Ida agreed, but recorded it anyway. To protect herself legally, if she said it ever came down to her word against Apostle Hollins. Speaking of Namelka, Apostle Hollins said, quote, This guy's a wacko, that he's just not in touch with reality. I wonder if people said the same thing about his prophet, Joseph Smith. And while Holland agreed with Ida that it would be wonderful for the LDS to receive the sealed portion of the golden plates, it wouldn't be coming from somebody down at, quote, Joe's Bar and Grill. Why not? Joseph Smith was somebody down at Joe's Bar and Grill. He had a bar, probably a grill in his house. But Holland's insights didn't matter to Ida. See, she had a testimony. She had a burning in her bosom about his work and even said to her friend, Senator Bob Bennett, quote, Christopher is the person who has been called upon to give you real truth in the latter days and is the only true messenger in the world today. How many, how can any latter day saint on earth from Holland to the guy down at Joe's Crab Shack disagree with her faith? She feels it's true. She had a personal burning witness that the sealed portion was true. She's lived a stalwart straight on life as a Latter-day Saint, and this book has changed her life. I'd like to know. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Now listen, we have a new rule, and that is uh, first callers. That's not new. We want, we're going to be tough on you. Our operators are going to quiz you, and you've got to have something really good. We want cogent thoughts, points, and criticisms. If it takes screening a dozen calls to get one, one good call, we'll wait. i got plenty of emails, and uh, we're going to read through them until it comes off. But it does look like the phones are full, so trust in the operators. We're going to go to Ken in Ogden, Utah. On line two. Ken, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Um, hi, Sean. Thank you for your ministry. Um, my question is, when the Bible speaks about a generation, how many years is that? And are we the generation that is supposed to experience rapture? Whoa. Uh, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, what a generation is. Uh, sorry. I can find out, but I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. Anybody in the 
Let, show, hey, so. wait, wait, wait. Let me ask. Let me ask the audience. Anyone have any idea? Uh, Robert says 40. He's usually our local expert on things like that. So we're, he's saying 40. If it's different, I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, are we the generation of rapture, though? What's that? Are we the generation of rapture? I uh, don't know that. Couldn't tell you that at all. What, wait, one more thing. What was that said? Uh, and from uh, another great uh, scriptorian, Rich says 70 to 80 years, and she, he's quoting scripture from uh, David. So uh, check that. We'll check that out. We'll give you the definitive, but uh, that's what we're getting from here right now. Well, you know the Bible prophecy about um, when Israel becomes a nation again, um, that, that the generation uh, after that time uh, would see rapture. There's some type of prophecy. I, I don't, there, there may be something that infers that, but I couldn't quote it right now. Uh, you know, I'm the weakest on end time uh, on my eschatology uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm just weak in that area. I'd have to actually research it to give you an answer. Okay, well, thank you. Anyway, okay, Ken, keep watching. Bye-bye. We're going to May in Ogden, Utah on line three. Hopefully she does not have a question about end times. Uh, May, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I've just been waiting. I don't know. You're what? I said, yeah, I've just been still waiting. You're still waiting? Yeah. Well, you're on the air now, May. You're on the air with on Heart of the Matter. Oh, I am right now? Yep. So I got a question. So, I mean, everybody, I, and I understand, and I'm not even tripping, because I was looking at a BYU station, and the guy says that he serves two gods. He said he serves a God above, and he serves a Mormon God. But still in all, even though the Mormon may be wrong, and I do agree that they're wrong, but at the same time, why, if the fact is, if we're supposed to go to church on Saturday, why is everybody going to church on Sunday? And why the fact is, the Bible does not change, so nobody can say it's a new revelation, because it's not. And his original name is Yahweh, and why people are not saying that, and Yahshua. Okay, well, let me talk to your, let me answer your question about Saturdays and Sundays, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, and, and uh, just so that the operators can continue, do you have, you have the show up? Let me, answer you, let me answer you on the air, so turn up your TV and listen. Okay? Turn up my TV? Yeah, turn up your TV now and listen. Okay. Okay, May. Uh, the Sabbath day, um, Saturday, absolutely. Covenant between God and, and Israel. There are there are debates about that. There are some people who believe that that Saturday should still be practiced by uh, the body of Christ. And if they want to practice or try to practice a Sabbath day, they're welcome to that. There's liberty in Christ. I doubt that God would be upset for people trying to honor Him on a day of the week. I don't know. Uh, but in the New Testament. Uh, ever since uh, the uh, Christ came from the tomb, it's been on the first day of the week, and there's some symbolism in that because under the law, the children of Israel they lived their whole life under that uh, the the days of the week, and they looked for the end day of the week for their rest. They looked for a physical day of the week, that last day of the week, Saturday, to come in and rest, Friday night to Saturday night. So that was their day of rest, the Sabbath day, and it is to be honored. But Jesus fulfilled and he expanded that interpretation. 
because now we have the first day of the week where we springboard into the rest of the week. And we, Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you the rest. I will give you rest. So Christians have their rest 24 or seven in him. And they get together on, on the Lord's day and they study and they worship and they get together with other believers. And then they springboard into the rest of the week. So Jesus said many things that were fulfilled uh, it, when he came. He said, it is written, but I say, it is written, but I say. And that's the same thing I believe with the Sabbath day. But you're correct. Saturday is the true Sabbath day. The LDS calls Sunday the Sabbath day, and they have all kinds of rules that they institute on that, but that is absolutely not correct biblically. Uh, okay, we're going to Keegan, who is at BYU, Idaho. Keegan, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm going, Sean. Good, how are you? Doing great. Good. Uh, basically, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, kind of stuck between a dilemma. I'm actually going to, I'm actually a student at BYU, Idaho. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, me and my girlfriend became, like, true Christians about a month ago. Became what? Uh, we became, oh, praise God. Became, we both became true Christians. Um, kind of off in the Bible. We, uh, now we're going to a Bible church. Awesome. Here. Basically, we have a dilemma with it's a, both of our last semesters here. And the church, in order to go here, we have to be fully active. In the church, yeah. In the Mormon church, yeah. Um, basically, that's kind of going to like. Would that be like? What would be your opinion on on that? Would that be really just on us for us to basically well, keep going to the Mormon church? Well, uh, <laughs> I have a, I have a couple responses, and this is a tough question because one, you're looking at your academics. You got one semester left, and uh, and being active to the Mormon church, I mean, you can skate that so easily. You show up to a, a, enough meetings and all they are are business meetings and you show up and you do, I wouldn't take the sacrament. Uh, you know, you just show up and, and sit there and that will uh, meet that criteria. But on the other hand, I also believe in really uh, stepping forward and trusting God in things. And so it's hard for me to say, yeah, stay in there and, and play the game. Uh, you know, it really is going to be dependent upon you and, and God in you. Now, remember, God is in you by virtue of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he will guide you. And you're, he's, he doesn't always operate in a, uh, in a way that seems. So maybe he will say, just finish this out. Get out of there. Maybe he'll say, uh, uh, get, out, get out now. I don't know. It's a tough one, but I can say that uh, I don't think you're going to disappoint the Lord by staying and finishing out a semester where you started in. Um, I just think that it will probably, I've always believed this, once you come to know the Lord as a Mormon, you're on your way out. I mean, it's going to probably be very hard for you to kind of stick through those meetings, especially if you're going to a Christian church. So I wouldn't make a big deal of it. I've seen people at BYU make a big deal of coming to know the Lord, and it gets very ugly. I just... I just stay and learn the word, go to your Bible studies, do the little meetings that they want you to do, and consider that unless God tells you otherwise. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing. Is a, it's really kind of a dilemma for me right now because uh, the Bible's been like basically so powerful and everything that's kind of happened to me in the last month <clears throat> yeah. has become like really powerful. So um, I, don't, I don't even want to have anything to really do with it. It's, yeah. kind of, it's a big dilemma for me, so... It's really hard. And what's your first name? Actually, I'd like to keep that kind of anonymous. Right oh, yeah. now. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, uh, sorry, but we'll we'll pray we'll pray for you. They'd like to get rid of me. Yeah, they would. Uh, you know, just finish up unless God says get out. But, you know, you have him in you and there is nothing that's going to snatch you away. But just stay in his word like you're doing. You're doing a good job. All right. Awesome, Sean. I'll keep you in my prayers. Thanks. We need it. God bless you. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye-bye. All right. The operators are clearing calls. We got something from DeJuan. He says, so what's your view on the emergent church? I love your show, but a red flag went up when I saw you say your mentor was Chuck Smith. And he went, goes through and he lists a litany of accusations uh, regarding the one world nation and Catholic Church and Antichrist and, and, and Cal- Crystal Cathedral Ministries all coming together and Chuck Smith being involved in all that. And I just want to say that, uh, you know, all churches have pros and cons and men are men. Uh, but Chuck Smith, uh, as in terms of my mentor, I would stand by him as being my mentor now as well as before. I do not believe for a second he is involved in any of that. Um, and, and things are put on the Internet that are very ugly about a lot of people that are just not true. He is a man of God and he loves the Lord and has given his life to serve and teach the word. And he's usually pretty good. I disagree with him on a few points uh, uh, on uh, eschatology, which I don't know very much about. And uh, yet, you know, everybody, we're going to disagree with each other on things, but he is a brother. And uh, so in terms of the emergent church movement, I know that Chuck is certainly against the emergent church movement. I know his own son became very involved in that. And Chuck publicly kind of said, no, we're just not going to be about that. So I'm not about emergent church. I'm about the Bible, the word of God, and people understanding who Christ is. Alex writes, um, I have worked with the LDS. Uh, I'm 27 years old, and it's so hard to open their eyes. For eight years now, I've done it. I'm at the point of giving up on them, he writes. Uh, I just want you to say out there in Arkansas, Alex, that working with the LDS is not working like working with the unchurched. Uh, the unchurched usually have the world that fills their hearts. The LDS have a combination of the world and religious power and dogma and being taught from a youth. So it's a total revision of indoctrination that t- has to take place. And, and, the, and the word says, you know, the way that they will get that indoctrination out is going to be by the washing of the word, by reading the word, the regeneration of their mind. And so it has to come by studying the word. And it's a long process to get them to trust the word because they have been taught their whole life that you can't. So it's a difficult process. I would suggest that you have planted seeds. Our ministry has reaped from ministries that have come before us, like Utah Lighthouse Ministry, and they have planted seeds and other people who have shared Jesus and come to this state for years and shared Jesus. And finally, a lot of that is germinating and we're seeing the harvest because we're on TV. But you're planting seeds. You just keep planting those seeds. And if the Lord puts it on your heart to continue to serve, don't look for the immediate success. You know, you may not see any immediate success, but I can assure you, you're planting seeds and God's word will not return void. Okay, we have a question here on the screen and it says, caller says you have not done your homework on Namelka. Apparently Namelka says he is Hiram Smith reincarnated. I did do that, but I didn't even want to include it. I mean, it's obviously he's a joke. He also stated any revelation will be wrong and if it's not from the LD, any revelation will be wrong 
if it is not from the LDS church. I didn't read that about him. It doesn't matter. Namalka is just a, is just a model to say, look, anybody can come out of the woodwork and say they have a book and you can hand it to somebody and somebody can read it and say, I feel like it's true and you can be misled. But see, the LDS use that model to claim their own truths. So what's the difference? That's my point about Namalka. All right, Ernie in St. Louis, Missouri, first time caller. He is LDS. Ernie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good. Is this Dr. Ernie? Yes, it is. How are you? I'm doing well. I just want to let the audience know that uh, Dr. Ernie, he's a physician out in St. Louis, and I've had the privilege of meeting when he and his uh, wife come to Salt Lake on, on visits. We sit down at dinner and talk about things. How's it going? Really good. Hey, I just wanted to uh, mention something in defense of all the criticism that's come your way in your aspect on the show versus your aspect in person. Oh. And I want uh, all your viewers to know that you're much different in person <laughs> than your entertainment aspect trying to be the, I guess, the Rush Limbaugh religion, right? <coughs> I'm trying to be the Rush Limbaugh religion, I tell you, Ernie. I don't think I'm succeeding, but I do appreciate that because there is a modicum of entertainment to try to keep people watching. And people think I'm such a, a, a mean guy, but you and I have had a number of conversations, your LDS, and you're, you're uh, a man who's searching for truth, and I can't wait to the day when you fully embrace it. Well, let me just mention one more thing. I mean, I think that people criticize due to their personal insecurity, and instead of criticizing, I think that they need to go and become students of the gospel and start researching, and it's going to take a while to really get through the masses of information they need to study. Well, that's good advice. Uh, study is never, does n never hurts. Study and education. Ernie... Love you, my brother. Let me know when you're back out. Will do. Thank, thank you. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye. We're going to Dusty in Lyman, Wyoming. Dusty, Dusty, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you, Dusty? I'm good. I'm good. Um, are you the guy that's on the TV talking? That's me. Okay, well, um, I just wanted some prayer. You wanted what? I need prayer. Like a prayer. Okay. Like, what for? Um, I need it for family. Uh, for like, um, uh, like, like getting like restoring relationships with family and um, overall health for myself and my children. I'll be glad to. Are you married? No, I am divorced. Well, let me pray for you, Dusty. All right. Lord, I come to you in front of uh, a, a large TV audience, but God, I'm not embarrassed to talk to you in front of people and know that you are the living God and that you uh, love Dusty and you seek for her welfare and the welfare of her children. You seek to bless them and you seek them to grow in the knowledge of who you are. So Lord, I pray that you will help them to see the importance of coming to a, a fellowship with people who believe and to studying your word, and to letting their will uh, fall and be replaced by yours, and that they will be able to uh, reconcile whatever differences are heaped upon them, that your angels will protect them from any difficulty or that uh, tries to create chaos in their lives. And Lord, that Dusty, she's watching a religious program, that she will lead her family um, to the truth. And if there's reconciliation possible with her and her ex, that it can happen and benefit the lives of those children, Lord. So we pray for this in your name. Amen. Amen. 
And Thanks, I, Dusty. And I guess you said help, too, huh? About help. I didn't say it, but he knew it. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. God bless you. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Um, this is from Gene, who said, I was uh, watching the show on February 15th. Again, we got a lot of response on this. From the woman who said the doctor told she was pregnant with conjoined twins. That woman also said, remember, it wasn't just conjoined twins. The, woman, the doctor said that she, they were not going to make it to term. If they made it to term, they might live a day. Uh, I was told that uh, I would die if I had my baby because it was in my tubes. I told the doctor to leave it in God's hand, and I have twin daughters today. If the babies are joined, then it's the Lord's will, not ours, to say if they live or die. I'm not a Mormon. I'm a Christian who left the LDS church because of their stand on abortion. Every single baby deserves a chance to live no matter what. Uh, who made God a doctor's God anyway? From Gene in Elsinore, Utah. Abortion is a heinous practice, Gene. I absolutely agree. It ought to be avoided at all costs and in almost every circumstance. I'm not dogmatic, though. There could be times when a, a fetus is somehow going to die or some, I don't know the nuances of what doctors deal with. They are not God. And I, for the most part, would trust God in every single case it, it, to, to have a woman bear the child. But if her life is in danger or if something has gone so wrong or, or we have ultrasounds where it's not even human, I don't know. I'm just saying I don't know. But God is within us and he will lead and guide us. I am not for abortion. I don't agree with it in, in every case, I can essentially say. But I'm not so dogmatic to say somebody out there in the trillions of people who have lived or billions did not, was not supposed to have one for some reason, okay? And I know that's ugly because it's really easy to stand on positions completely, always, and, but it doesn't always make for, for reason. I trust the Lord God with all my heart. I believe he will do exactly his will. But sometimes he puts people in our lives to help us. And sometimes the medical doctors might have a perspective that is true and correct. Maybe, sometimes. Okay, I hope I make that clear. I'm, it's a tough one. We're getting some tough ones tonight. We're going to go to um, the Standard Examiner, February 5th. Utah has the most child porn in the nation. I don't know that this is true. I haven't researched this. They think it's connected to the LDS church. Uh, I haven't seen that article. I haven't seen that study. I know that, uh, that Google uh, search does show that Utah has a, the highest uh, ratio of pornographic searches through Google search. They're up in the top uh, one and two and three of the states in the nation and even in the world sometimes. So where that connection comes from, I don't know. We've talked about that uh, before. Uh, from Brandon, a good supporter, he says that in Salt Lake City AP, a new book says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has among the highest number of church members in North America. According to the National Council of Churches 2011 yearbook of American and Canadian churches, the LDS Church has 6,058,907 members in the U.S. and Canada. That's the fourth highest in the yearbook, top 25 listings of large national churches, well behind the 68.5 million Catholics in North America. The book also says the LDS Church ranked third in membership growth. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, helps us see why we have things like two presidential candidates that are going to be running who are LDS. They got a, they're getting a larger and larger representation in this country. And we're going to be forced to say, hey, where do we stand? You know, what are we going to do? And I don't, I'm not saying I know the answer, but you're going to have to make those decisions. Okay, um, Robert Marsh 
writes that uh, he was in his 40s teaching uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it was through uh, Grace Community Bible Church in Sandy that he was introduced to this show by his friends, Barb and Rusty. We know Barb and Rusty, great uh, believers who came out of Mormonism too and saw the truth, and it's done miraculous things. He was in his 40s when he finally faced the truth and embraced Christ as his Savior. He was in a bishopric. He was a high priest instructor. Uh, not that it means to anything to him now. And he loved to teach the priesthood and focus on Christ. And he started studying the Bible and looking at doctrines and church history, and they became a stumbling block for him. And he prayed to God to reveal the truth to him, and he did. He and his wife had had the same thoughts, and God led them out. He says he won't bore me with the details, but uh, it was really interesting how many neighbors and good friends, uh, became, they became invisible to all of them except for a, a couple of good, uh, really good ones. And he believes there's a lot of uh, members out there who are in the same boat in the state under the pressure of family and friends and jobs to stay rooted. We were blessed that many mature, loving, caring Christians at Grace that's that church, uh, helped us uh, to our way to salvation through Christ and Him only. It was at that church that he learned about the grace of God. What a great email, and we know it's going to continue to go on in this state as we pray for it and prepare ourselves to share. Two weeks ago, after the program, some great friends here in the audience, Leo and Shirley, came up to me. Leo grabbed my hand, grabbed it with both hands. He looked me in the face, and he just said, a really heartfelt Thank you, thank you. Last week, in the last five minutes of the show, there was some commotion, if you were watching, uh, and what happened was Leo suffered an aneurysm, and he uh, passed away the next day. Uh, we want to uh, dedicate the show tonight. He's absent uh, in the body, but present with the Lord, and so we uh, certainly are uh, going to miss him, and, uh, but we also envy him in, in a little way, too. You can know the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to him and say, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need to understand you. Show me. Take the scales off my eyes. Uh, help me to hear. Let me know your truth. Open the Bible. Start in the Gospel of John. Just start reading and test him. Don't test. You can test everything I've said. Test him. He'll come through. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.